Today's reading is John 1, 9 through 14. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace kids, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers. The rest of you may be seated. Hello, Grace Long Beach. My name is Daniel Long. If you do not know me, I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you, great to share with you from God's Word. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get into John chapter 1 this morning. So would you pray with me? God, you are the one who has come to us, the one who is full of grace and truth, the God who wanted to be known, so you put on flesh moved into the neighborhood. Thank you that that is true. God, I pray that you would help us to hear you afresh this morning. All of the things that we bring with us, all of the ways that we are sometimes hard of hearing, God, I pray that you and your voice would be louder than any other one. Thank you for your faithfulness and your commitment to being with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have one thing I want to say to you this morning, and it's this. You are a child of God. Thanks be to God. And then um, every time, I I just think that is it, actually. Like, you are a child of God. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit with that for a moment. I'm going to say it again. You are a child of God. And I want you to take some notes, a mental note maybe. Maybe you need to write it down. What are your immediate responses to that truth, that you are a child of God. I want you to think about it and sit with it. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. You are a child of God. I imagine for some, immediate acceptance, there's a sense in which that feels true. For some, you think, yeah, I know, but you don't, you know, like you know, but you don't know. For others, maybe there's even like a recoiling that seems like really strange to think of yourself as a child and of God as a parental type figure. So I want you to sit with that. I'll come back to that, but I want you to sit with that reality that you in fact, are a child of God. 
So we are in the season of Advent, and in Advent, we're talking about being in between the times, that we, uh, we attend to the reality that, that God has come to us in Jesus, and we know that that is true, and so we look back on his first coming to us in the form of a child who grew up, who lived, who died, and who was raised again. And we testify to that reality that God has, in fact, come to us and has put on flesh. And then we also look forward to a time when God will come to us again, when Jesus will return and restore all things. And so here we are in between. And so Advent is a time of waiting and attending to that waiting perhaps trying to even go back in time in our own imaginations of what it would look like to be waiting for this long, long-awaited Messiah to come into the world. And perhaps we don't actually have to do that much digging in our own emotional world to get back there because we know and we think and we wait till it happens again. And so in Advent, we attend to this waiting. And we've wanted to be looking at the ways that, this, that Jesus coming to us is a word of hope. And it's, it's hope in three ways. It's hope for the world. That was the first week. Last week, Will talked about hope for us in our relationships with and to one another. And then this morning, we're going to look at how it's hope for you. Now, I don't know if you have this problem but I have this problem that when I imagine the good news of Jesus, I imagine it as, a, as good news for the world. Like it is the best absolute news for the world. And it's so hard to remember that I'm part of that world. That as an individual, that that means something true and real. And so this morning we're gonna look at that reality, that this good news, this hope, isn't just hope for the world, it isn't just hope for our relationships, but it's hope for you, for me, for us as individuals. Now, in order to do this, we're going to go back to the beginning, as we have been doing. Have you noticed that? We can't really talk about Advent unless we go back to the beginning pages of Genesis. But before that, John actually is who takes us back. If you want to turn your Bibles to John chapter 1, there are blue Bibles underneath you. Um, you're going to, I don't have actually the, the passages projected this morning, so you're going to want to follow along. If you, don't, if you don't have a Bible, you can get one. Somebody can yell out the page number. I had one job. 886. Thank you, Beth. That's how it works, actually, right there. And just, um, so page 886 in the Blue Bible. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So here at the beginning of John chapter 1, we, we know that this is a meet, or ultimately going to be talking about Jesus, this idea of the Word becoming flesh. The Word, we go back to the beginning, was with God, was there at the creation of time. It was through this Word, in fact, that all things were created. So we're going to go back, if you want to go back to Genesis, 
We're actually going to look in Genesis chapter 3 this morning. Because as we know, though things were created good, and though humanity was created very good, it doesn't take too long until something happens, until something is disrupted. Genesis 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say, You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? Here we are, chapter 3, the first question in all of Scripture. Did God say? So people being created in God's image are tasked with cultivating the garden and they have boundaries and limits. One of those limits was not to eat from the tree the knowledge of good and evil. And they know this, but then we have humanity being confronted by this crafty serpent bringing to question whether or not God, in fact, can be trusted. And he asks, did God say? So much of our life is lived in response to that same question. Did God really say that we shouldn't eat from this tree? Did God really mean that he will provide for us? Did God really mean to love our enemies? Did God really, in fact, mean that he is with us, that he will never leave us, that he, that he will never forsake us? Did God say? So here's this question at the beginning, and we know how they answered this question. They took life in matters into their own hands, and they did, in fact, eat from the tree. So the woman said to the serpent, verse two, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, which isn't true. God didn't say that, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So in response to this question of did God in fact say, they take matters into their own hands, they do what they were told and asked not to do, to let God, in fact, be the one who describes and who lets them know what is good and what is right, what the good life is, what the boundaries are. No, they say, we will do it our own way. And then they eat, and then it says, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked. So immediately following this answer to this question of did God say and taking life into their own hands, they see something about themselves that they did not see before. And what they experienced is what we know of as shame. So something happened in this relationship between them and God that in fact 
disrupted their relationship with themselves. They see themselves as naked and they need to hide. And so then they sew fig leaves and they put on clothes. But then what does God do? Verse eight, then they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, where are you? Second question in all of scripture. He being the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to, to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me and I ate. So here we are, we live life between often these two questions. Did God say? Interrogating the trust of God and then God's question to us of where are you? So if life is lived in two questions that we live in response to this question of did God in fact say and we see the world that is made, we feel the reality of what it's like to live wrongly in response to that question and then it turns out we need to be found. And the good news of Advent is that there is a God who seeks after you and after me. And so this seeking, this God who seeks here at the beginning in Genesis 3, asking the question of where are you is the question he asks you all the time. As you live in response to this question of did God in fact say, is that truly who God is? God is seeking you. God wants to know you. So much so that the story continues and God wants to get as close as humanly possible. And so we see this in John chapter one, where God still asks the question of where are you, but in order to get so close, takes on flesh. So you can go back to John chapter one. And so we see this distortion at the beginning of time within ourselves that all of a sudden we see something about ourselves that we didn't see before. We have feelings about ourselves that we did not feel before. This desire to hide, to conceal, to go inward, to not be known. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Because it is often the ways that we live. We do not want to be seen. We do not want to be known, and in fact, that is the greatest news possible, that there is a God who wants to do both of those things, and yet it's so hard to let him do that in our lives. And so here's the hope of Advent for us, or for you. The hope is this, that, you, that we, as individuals, we can see who we are, and we can see what we're made for. So the hope is that we can see who we are and we can see what we're made for. John 1, let's look at verse nine. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born out of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. 
So God, who put on flesh in order that we might know the true reality of who we are is that we have been given the right to become children of God. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Despite how you imagine yourself to be, despite the shame that you're living in, despite all of the ways that you want to recoil or reject that, despite all of the ways that just seems flippant to you, you are a child of God and it's supposed to mean the whole world. It's supposed to be the best news possible. But in fact, some of the ways that we, or the reasons that we resist it is because it's hard to imagine ourselves as children. If it's true that we as people project onto God and into our relationship with God all of the ways that we've been relationally formed by the people who were supposed and tasked to love us, we realize that it becomes really difficult. It becomes really difficult to have this attachment to God and to recognize God as this parental figure who is in fact supposed to love us. Now every child is born looking for somebody looking at them. Every child is born looking for a person who is looking at them. We, as people, we want to be seen. As a child, you grow up needing to be seen. We, as children, we want to be soothed. We are asking the question all of the time, will someone comfort me? See, we, we, we are born into this life asking questions we didn't even know we were asking. Is somebody looking for me? Will somebody take care of me? Will somebody protect me? And will I be okay? And so we're asking these questions all the time. But as children who grow up with the people that we grow up with, because often they're doing the best they can, and we just know because of who we are, the best is just not enough. And we end up distorting for each other, really, the ways that we imagine God to be. It is hard. It is so difficult to imagine that there is a God who sees us. Because often, we just think that we are constantly overlooked. We grew up with people who didn't see us or who didn't know us. We are constantly asking the question, will somebody take care of me? So many stories in this room right now where that question was something that needed to be asked every minute. And often the answer was no. And you were shaped by that no, and it affects the way that you think about God. Will somebody protect me? Again, so many stories of people in this room who have been shaped by the answer to that question is probably not. Will I be okay? Over time, you've learned to answer that question is possibly, but I better take matters into my own hands if I'm going to be okay. And so the ways that you imagine and think about and even feel about God have been shaped over time significantly because of the relationships that you have. This is not news to you, probably, but what I'm saying is to, to imagine and to feel and to accept the reality that you are a child of God actually takes a lifetime to believe and to actually live into because there's a lot of undoing that needs to be done. There's a lot of healing that God needs to do. But it is, in fact, the truth 
We see this in John. God coming to us in the flesh, making it possible because of Jesus and through Jesus to be children of God. And so here's the truth of your life. If connected to God through the person of Jesus, you are seen. God sees you. You are known. Even the parts of you you don't want to be known, he knows them. And he did not leave. You will be taken care of. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean you're not going to get hurt. But guess what? There is a God who is a good father who wants to wrap you up in his arms and comfort. Will you be okay? Again, not untouched, not without scars, not without a story of a lot of crap that you wish wasn't part of it. But if we truly believe in a God who through Jesus will make all things new, then the answer to the question of will I be okay can in fact be yes. So you are seen, you are known, you are taken care of, you are held on to, you are loved, you are a child of God. That is the hope of Advent, that we can accept and that we can receive. And it is the best news in the whole world. And it's also the hardest news. It's the hardest news to receive and to accept. Because we live in a world that says that's not true. You want to know who you are? Well, just let me see what you've done. I can tell you who you are because of what you've accomplished. I can tell you who you are because of the power you have. I can tell you who you are because of whatever. You fill in the blank. You have the answers. You know it because you live with yourself every single day. But the most true thing about you is that God says that you are a child of his. Henry Nouwen says this, loudly and clearly, God is saying through Jesus, you are not what the world makes you, but you are children of God. The world has no ultimate say upon your life and who you are. God does. And he said everything he needs to say through the word that became flesh and lived among us. Gregory Boyle has this this image of everybody. If they could just simply behold the one beholding us and smiling, that we might then be transformed and reshaped to imagine who we are in the eyes of God. So behold the one beholding you and smiling. We come into the world looking for somebody, looking for us. God is looking at you. And he delights in you. And guess what? It's not because that you're so delightful. <laughs> Trust me. And if you're wondering why, just come talk to me afterwards. I have a list. No, I'm joking. I don't. But it's not because you are so delightful that God delights in you. It's not because you can actually bring a piece of paper with like this, all these bullet points of all the ways that you just know God should love you. No, there's nothing you could ever do that would make God love you more. There's nothing that you could ever do that would make God love you less. And I know you want to believe it. And it is just so hard to live from that place. 
And it takes the ongoing work of the Spirit of God to make that seep down deep in us. Because when I say you are, a you are a child of God, I truly should be able to just say thanks be to God and walk off the stage. It should not require a 30-minute sermon to help us believe that that is true. The fact that it does require that and the fact that I'm still figuring it out means that we don't have it. We don't have it all together. But we are working toward it, and we need the hope of Advent to remind us, yes, in fact, this is right. I am a child of God. Nothing else matters. I can live from this place. Thanks be to God. Imagine that. And that is what we are looking for. That is what you are looking for. And God says that is what in Jesus you have. Because of his sonship, because of who he is, and because of your life being hidden with Christ in God, that is who you are. A child of God. So the hope of Advent for you is that we, that you can see who you are, but it's also that you can see what you're made for. You can see what you're made for. You're made for relationship. You're made for relationship with the God who beholds you and smiles. Now, as, as evangelicals, um, we, this is something that we've, we've been good at acknowledging, and over time, it's been something that we've been good at saying and kind of rejecting, like, because like, it it's all about me and Jesus, right? We, like, if, if you're, that was my, like, childhood, and then we get, we think we get smart, and we get, like, really intellectual, and then we think, yeah, it's, totally, it's not just about me and Jesus, it's about me and all, and that's true, too. But the thing is, like, it, we also need to kind of recover sometimes these things that we often want to reject because it just seems too easy, it just seems too simple. No, but it really is about you and Jesus, about you and others, and it's about you and the world. I mean, and, and all of those things are true all at the same time. And so we're attending to this reality that no, in fact, God wants you, wants you to feel his love for who you are. Not just to intellectually know it, but to feel it effectively, that it's something that you actually experience, this love of God. And so that happens by taking seriously the relationship that he has called you into as a child, as a father, one that you can trust, one that you can avail yourself to, one you don't need to hide from, one to go to that when you need comfort, you can be comforted. One to speak honestly with when you do not feel like everything will be okay. Because here's the thing, being a child of God is just not easy because God has let you down. We have all these stories of where it's, it feels like, it feels really true that God has let you down. And God says, I need you to talk to me honestly about that that he's made it possible in the relationship to be able to speak honestly about the ways that you have experienced God's letting you down. That's built into the relationship. God isn't afraid of it. And this is how it helps to build trust in this God who says he loves us as children. But we're also invited not just to a relationship but into a vocation because all of a sudden when we have experienced the, this love of the Father and we adopt and, and realize that we are children of God, we actually can't help 
but let everybody know about this incredible family that they can be a part of. And we are emboldened and empowered into this vocation of letting the world know, starting actually with our brothers and sisters, of what God has made possible in our lives together. You know those Christmas like cards that you get from people, and we weren't good at, at those this year, so we didn't get sent out Christmas cards, but my friend sent one, and it had this quote of Mother Teresa on it, and I thought, that is, that's awesome. And it's just always, you know, those are often lame. This one was not. Mother Teresa says, it's Christmas every time you let God love others through you. Yes, it's Christmas every time you smile at your brother or sister and offer them your hand. Now, what do I take Mother Teresa to be saying is, is that part of the vocation we have is to be the, on, the ongoing incarnation of Jesus in the world. So the vocation that you have and that you've been invited to be a part of is that you are the ongoing incarnation of God. Which means that this becomes a community built on, on the premise that I do not need to hide or conceal the things I want to conceal before you. I don't need to do that because God, as, as a good father, has forgiven me, has shined the light on the darkness of my life, and so I do not need to hide from you. But it also means that you become the ongoing incarnation and light of God to show me, to remind me of my standing, of my identity, and of my reality. But that doesn't happen that cannot happen if we are not willing to be a community of people who are relentlessly honest about our lives. That will not happen if I cannot be vulnerable before you. I'm not saying everybody, please don't hear me, oh, I just need to tell everybody everything. That's not what I'm saying. But as the church, there are people that God has brought together around you and surrounded you with so that you can actually disclose your life to and that they can be the ongoing incarnation light of God to dispel the darkness. But if you continue to live a life that is hidden, that will not be possible. What you will be, end up believing and telling yourself is that I am too something for them. I cannot be known because, and then over time you get further and further away and you start to believe that. And it's really hard to turn back. But if you can take the risk with a brother or sister whom God has placed in your life to say, this is who I am. And then all of a sudden, they see you, they know you, they comfort you, and they do not leave you. And so that you can start to believe that you will be okay. I mean, that's a pretty incredible thing that God has made possible through his son Jesus to both invite us into a relationship with him that begins to restore all of the broken parts of ourselves internally so that then externally we can become this community of people, this community of individuals who banks everything on the fact that God truly does love me and loves you and so we don't have to hide anymore. And then when we're not hiding, then we truly believe what John 1 says is that the light did in fact come to shine. And the darkness cannot overcome it.
And that's the good news of Advent. Thanks be to God that that is true. So, I will end with this. You are a child of God. And thanks be to God that that is true. And so we're going to enter into a time of, of reflection, of being before God. There's going to be some music that is going to be sung over you, choir. You can go ahead and start heading, heading up. But there are three questions I want you to attend to. And I don't want you to just think about these. Eventually, I'd love for you to find somebody you trust, somebody you know who wants to be the ongoing incarnation of God in your life and share with them. But here are the three questions. The first one is this, how are you hiding? How are you hiding? Maybe even what are you hiding? Second question, how might God in his love be seeking after you? See, often, and and why this is an important question to me is because I believe that God is the God who continues to ask the question of where are you? And chances are he's been asking you that, but sometimes it's hard to hear. So maybe taking a moment to think, oh, maybe that was God pursuing me, seeking after me. And then to consider what that might mean or who that might mean you share with. How might God and his love be seeking after you? Finally, what parts of your life and story might the light of Christ's love want to reveal and shine upon? So what parts of your life right now might the light of Christ and in his love reveal and shine upon? Chances are you know. You know something. You know what that might be. And it doesn't, maybe it's not a particular like sin. Actually, maybe it's a doubt. Maybe it's, this, it's, it's, it's resentment. Maybe it's bitterness. I don't know what it is. But it doesn't have to be, oh, I did this thing last week that I didn't share about. No, it could be honestly a way that you live your life that you just want to let go of. What parts of your life and story might the light of Christ's love want to reveal and shine upon? I'm going to pray, reflect on those questions for a minute as as, um, music is sung over us, and then I'll come back up and I'll set the table for uh, communion. God, you are the one who has come after us. You are the one who seeks You are the one who knows that often our response to the question of did God say is a response of of not trusting, of fearing, of wondering. But God, help us to hear your question of where are you? And to respond with a trust that you might have a way of life that you're inviting us into words of comfort that we need to hear, ways of seeing us that we just didn't know. God, I thank you that you are the God who seeks. Thank you that you are the God who finds and that there are so many stories here this morning of being found. We've got all of the ways that we still need to be found. Help us to share Help us to trust in your naming of us as your children. And help us with and through one another to tell that truth, to embody that truth, 
and to take the risk of actually believing that truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So take time with these questions.